Hi gang. So, it is Friday the 10th of December. It is quarter to two in the afternoon. And it's a gorgeous day. It's very mild. It's extremely bright. I absolutely adore days like this in the winter. Where it's so fresh outside and you just feel clean from breathing the air. Um... I haven't made an audio diary for the last few days and I can say that I've been busy but everyone can always say that they've been busy and sometimes you prioritise particular projects, right? Particular activities and sometimes you don't. So it's not just busyness which is the explaining factor, you know? And I think I realised that I started making these as audio diaries for fun, for curiosity, to help me to arrange and gain clarity over my own thoughts regarding the PhD and my own progress and maybe as a nice little treasure to enjoy listening back to many years hence, you know, when I'm all crumbly and fossilised. And then very rapidly that terrible thing happened which is so ubiquitous in I don't know, man, it's like the zeitgeist of the time about getting your side hustle and monetizing and content and all of that hateful, joy-sucking propaganda machine around the cultivating the image of the self, the brand. You don't even have a personality anymore. You have a brand. Kill me. And I started thinking about it like that and it made me not exactly resent making the audio diaries but I was just thinking thinking about it in terms of content in terms of audience what do people want to hear how is this narrative arc going to be structured and all that instead of just pressing record and saying out loud whatever is happening in my brain and so it put barriers cognitively in the way for me and I realised that that's what I was doing and I have thrown those thoughts in the bin And so here I am making my audio diary for the day. Yesterday I had a supervision meeting with both my two supervisors and I was given feedback on my second findings chapter, my chapter on women and work. Really helpful feedback as always. I've said it before but it's always worth repeating that I am extremely lucky to have supervisors who are fundamentally just really kind and generous people and that is just reflected in the way that they conduct themselves as my supervisors and I know that many people have a totally different experience um, with their own supervisors and those people have my condolences Um, because I look forward to every supervision meeting. I know that I'm going to get encouraged there and that whatever critique is provided is really done with the ultimate intention of improving my work, of making me a better scholar, a better thinker, a better writer. I always leave those conversations feeling like bolstered and reassured. It's such a fantastic dynamic. So I had that meeting yesterday at 11 o'clock in the morning And um, the main thing that we talked about was the structure of the chapter. So I think that as far as the content goes, as far as 
um, marshalling the evidence which is contained in the data itself, in the quotes from the interviews from women that I've spoken to, and writing about how we can understand that through various sociological lenses, I find that part more intuitive than the structure part. So basically, I find the writing of it fairly enjoyable and intuitive. Not that it's easy, but that something about that process of analysing and writing feels like it comes quite naturally to me. In comparison, structuring is a a different beast and a beast with many heads and tails. I don't know what that really even means. What does it... What's structure? Let's start there. What's that? beginning middle end that's a structure <laughs> that's pretty much as far as i've got <laughs> there's a first page there's quite a lot of pages in the middle and then there's a last page that's my structure so they have been helpfully providing comments about maybe this section where for example i discuss mortgage as the anchor to work So this came up a lot in conversations with women, you know, where they would specifically draw a causal link between mortgage debt and a general experience of entrapment in their own lives. So it's only because of mortgage debt that they are forced to work in jobs that they don't like, don't care about, don't find fulfilling and actually find actively denigrating, stress inducing, you know. And then they would also link mortgage debt to, they would speak about like the false promises of the American dream, basically. Some women would actually use the language of American dream and say that. And in others, I've kind of identified that it's there without them using that specific terminology. But just basically, you know, that inherited message that we've all got about the good life, quote unquote, and the kind of trajectory through lives that our parents and their parents' generation had of education, job, home, retirement, 2.4 kids, you know, a watch when you retire, all that stuff is completely irrelevant to us. It, It couldn't be further from the actual experience of millennials, Gen Zs. Nobody stays in a job for 30 years. Lots of people don't stay in a job for three years. Our wages are completely unmoored from the consumer price index and specifically the cost of housing. There is no way that somebody on a manual labour job could afford to rent a place on their own, let alone provide for a family and children. You know what I mean? And that that was achievable to those predecessing generations. And uh, so a lot of the women that I was speaking to in the interviews pointed that out themselves, you know, and about how it's the mortgage that makes that lifestyle un untenable you can't yeah you can't afford to pay most mortgages on most wages especially as a single person you've got to have multiple um, earners in a household and all of the ramifications that that has for how much actual choice you have 
about what kind of work to do, where to live, who to live with, when to leave, all that kind of stuff. So I'd written about that in a section on the chapter about women and work. Um, And it was pointed out to me that perhaps that discussion might come better right at the very beginning as a way of sort of mobilising a lot of the key thought processes and key terms and key like stuff that we are on about in this chapter is quite nicely summarised by this discussion about mortgage as the anchor to work and how tiny houses can be used to liberate some people from that anchor. And uh, good criticism is just so, so good. It's so good to be criticised well. As soon as I read that comment, I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's not a concluding piece, is it? That's an open, oh, oh yeah, I get it now. And just makes everything, <laughs> makes everything so much better. I wish we could have supervisors for every area of our lives. Do you know what I mean? Like someone who had a pretty good close eye on how you are developing your skills and thinking processes and activities in all kinds of different areas of your life, which I guess you kind of can pay for those, can't you? You can get a personal trainer who's your supervisor for your like strength goals or whatever you got going on. A therapist? Is that a supervisor of your, mm, like how much of a brat you are? I just like a general overseer. I'm actually, it's a parent, that's it. I've worked it out, I'm looking for a parent. I'd like to still be parented actively, please. Thank you. Someone to coordinate my stuff, you know, and like give me a bit of feedback from afar. Yeah. I need to get adopted as an adult, seemingly, is the solution I've come up with for myself. That feels a bit embarrassing. So the supervision meeting was really useful as always. And I'm looking forward to tinkering with that chapter. God, I just love writing so much, man. I really love it. What just happened in my head then was I thought, I really like the editing phase, you know, where you're like polishing a precious stone. And the main body of the work is done. The stone is there. But it's the polishing, it's the honing, it's the being uh, editing, like making sentences more simple or changing bits around so that it flows more logically and expanding on a few points here and there that really like levels it up it's those fine tunings that really make such a difference to how good the work is and I wondered to myself in my head is that my favorite part and I was like oh I just really love getting the words down in the first place you know I really love reading in order to find out what I'm writing about and I really love the feeling of a pen in my hand and I just love the whole thing Ah, look at me, look at me. So the next thing that I'm going to be cracking on with is the third findings chapter on women and consumption. And I've already started on that this week. I've got about a thousand words down on that chapter. Um, Writing, what was I writing about? I think that was on Monday. Oh yeah kind of giving like a bit of a historical overview of you know like the seminal theories about consumption so uh, Giddens and symbolic interactionism and how people create and perpetuate understandings about class and gender 
and all those other things through partially through what they buy where they buy it from and how they use it and what clothes they wear and all that cultivation of the image and everything like that um yeah in order to basically in order to just show that i've done my due diligence to my examiners you know who are going to be reading the thesis in the end but i don't want to spend too long lingering in those heritage texts just because honestly i'm loath to lean so heavily on dead straight white men i i think it's a shame that we you know those entrenched paths are just the easiest ones to walk aren't they right so if you're walking through a park and there's a path or there's the grass most people will walk on the path because it's just the least friction option and so much of our behavior is like that we don't know what there is in the grass or all feels just a bit more difficult and like, ooh, damp maybe. Could be ticks, that. But there also could be really nice flowers and like great bugs and stuff. This analogy is not serving me well, but I hope I'm communicating the essence. And loads of academia is like that, man, loads of it. Well, these are just the texts we rely on. These are the seminal texts. These are the forefathers of the discipline. Like, all right, nice one what's been happening in the last 10 years that all different kinds of people have been writing about and thinking about. So all that stuff about situated knowledge comes in, that the particular demographics of the person will impact what they can know and how they know it. So if you only or predominantly rely on the perspectives of cishet white men, you are definitionally going to be missing out on lots of important stuff because there are experiences that cishet white men can never have. They can't experience racism or sexism and millions of other things, you know what I mean? Like, not that there's anything special about what women can experience, just that it's categorically different. And in order to marshal a robust argument, I think, that's the whole part of cultivating a critical, analytical ability as a scholar, is to recognise the bias inherent in all data, all theory, all writing, all work, and to try as best as you can to cultivate a, a neutral-ish, or like, that's not even the right word, you can't cultivate a neutral-ish, to acknowledge that that's the fact, right? That all the stuff is biased. So try and include as many different biases in there as you can to paint a picture that kind of represents the human experience more fully than if you only use text by white people, you know? So I haven't like uh, delved into that yet, but I want to have a good scout around for recent and diverse writings and scholarship on consumption, purchasing, identity formation, lots of interesting stuff about sustainability and how closely linked that is to practices of buying, what you buy, where you buy it from, what kind of packaging it's got and all that stuff, which came up so often in the conversations with women living in tiny houses. They like to often describe themselves as being like eco-conscious, you know what I mean? And wanting to reduce their carbon footprint and taking personal responsibility for the things that they can control in their lives, which is stuff like what they buy, how much of it they buy. So I'm looking forward 
looking forward to that. I'm so grateful and relieved to still be looking forward to working on my PhD. So many people talk about it in, you know, the hushed tones of horror. I wonder how much of that is just a bit performative, really, and if it's one of those entrenched things where, like, oh, everyone who's done a PhD talks about it in the hushed tones of horror. I guess that's how I should also talk about my PhD. It's like part of the membership behaviour that you have to demonstrate in order to show that you do belong to that group of people. Or maybe most people just do have a really terrible time. I hope that's not true, that would be sad. Okay, I just need to climb over a bit of a fence here. Oh. I'm wearing a TENS machine. I'm wearing a TENS machine. <laughs> just trying not to let the cables slip out of my waistband and get caught on a fence post. Dangling there, being gently electrocuted in the uterus. I highly recommend a TENS machine to anyone who has painful periods. Me, oh my, that's, it really helps you out. It's cool because it's really lightweight. I've 